Welcome to Talking Theology, a podcast of Cranmer Hall Durham, where we explore some of life's big questions and try and join the dots between theology, church and the world. I'm your host, Philip Plimming, Warden of Cranmer Hall, and it's my privilege to bring you some of the most interesting theological thinkers today. If you enjoy Talking Theology, do subscribe at your favourite podcast provider. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Talking Theo and share on social media. Thanks for listening. Now, on to today's episode. What is loneliness and how does the Bible, and particularly the Old Testament, talk about it? How does the Old Testament's depiction connect with what we've learned about loneliness in the last 20 years? Why does God care about lonely humans and what does God do about it? And how can Christians learn to live well with loneliness and how can we be good friends in a world where people are lonely. Welcome to this episode of Talking Theology. In today's show, I'll be talking to Elizabeth Hare. Lizzie is lecturer in the Old Testament here at Cranmer Hall. She's passionate about the Hebrew Bible, and her doctoral research investigated the subject of loneliness in the Old Testament. And our title today is, What does the Old Testament teach us about our loneliness and how God can meet us in it? Thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoy the show. Lizzie Hare, welcome to Talking Theology. Thank you very much for having me. Lizzie, tell us a little bit about yourself, if you wouldn't mind to start with. And in particular, give us, I don't know, a sense of your average day in the life of a lecturer in Old Testament and tutor at Cranmer Hall. Oh, not sure there is an average day. I get to do a lot of teaching about the Hebrew Bible or Old Testament, uh, which is a lot of fun. Also, as a pastoral tutor, I have the privilege of walking alongside students in a very formational period of their life. And I also (laughs) seem to spend quite a lot of time encouraging people that they really do want to learn biblical Hebrew and that this is something they'll really enjoy. I'm sure that's a task you excel at, Lizzie. Let's dive in, therefore, into the world of the Hebrew Bible, the world of the Old Testament, and your original research that you've just completed your doctorate on was on the topic of loneliness in the Old Testament. Tell us how you landed on that theme among all the other themes in the Old Testament. Um, It came out of another piece of work I was doing, which was on the Book of Lamentations, And as I was reading through it, I was really struck by the fact that while there are some some really grim things in the Book of Lamentations, um, it's a wonderful book, but there are a lot of really difficult things to handle. Starvation, exile, death, sexual assault. Lamentations 4, it says the hands of compassionate women have boiled their own children. And yet... The very first poem of chapter one, it opens with what's often translated as how lonely sits the city that once was full of people. And I was really intrigued by how, despite these horrific things that are going on throughout these poems, loneliness is the thing that opens the book. It's kind of the prime complaint that uh, this image of a personified daughter's iron, this city as widow, opens with her complaint that she is lonely. So I was wondering about that. And then it was coupled with 
the understanding that, you know, in the last few decades, there's been so much research in other disciplines about loneliness, uh, particularly from medical, psychological perspectives. And we're coming to the increasing realisation that it's a huge problem in contemporary Western society in particular. So the fact that there was this thing I was really wondering about in the Bible that also seemed to have some very contemporary application made me want to look a bit further. You've already pointed us in the direction of Lamentations as one of those places where loneliness is voiced as an experience of the kind of personification of Israel at that awful moment at the sacking of Jerusalem, the the destruction of Jerusalem in, in 587 BC. Where else would you point to in the Old Testament as places where the theme or issue of loneliness emerge And what are the different ways in which the Old Testament presents and understands loneliness as a not uncommon human experience? Mm, Really big question. I think if you don't mind, I'll start with looking at what I mean by loneliness um, and then go from there. So I think a helpful definition for loneliness is the feelings of distress engendered by the discrepancy between an individual's desired number of qualitatively valuable connections with other people and their actual number of connections. And in this, I was largely following Louise Hawkley and Carla Perissonotto and their medical research of how they define loneliness. Can I just come back to that, Lizzie? So just just read that sentence again. That's absolutely brilliant. So you're saying that loneliness is the experience we have when there's a gap between the number of people we'd like to be in connection with and the number of people we actually have a connection with. Is that right? Have I got that right from a layperson's perspective? Yeah, precisely. And I think um, because it's such a subjective experience and then that number can be different for lots of different people. And we know that it's distinct in some way from being alone. Uh, You can be on your own and not feel at all lonely and vice versa. You can be surrounded by people and still feel really lonely. And I think that's because you've got that gap, that disconnect between the number of relationships you want and the number of relationships you have. Fantastic. That's really helpful, Lizzie. So in the light of that definition, take us into the world of the Old Testament. Thank you. Yes. So whilst I'd want to be very cautious about just mapping a kind of modern definition of loneliness onto an ancient text, I think there are still some correspondences that can be really helpful for us, if only because evolutionary speaking, uh, we haven't changed very much in a few thousand years, cognitively or biologically. And there are, we know, physical aspects of loneliness. So those, for example, haven't changed very much. So I think a few of the key texts where the Bible speaks of loneliness and helpfully, the Hebrew for lonely alone has a very similar semantic range as the English lonely alone, which is great. So Genesis 2.18, for example, where it says the Lord God said it is not good that the human should be alone. And if we read the two creation stories side by side, you've got God creating everything and it's good, 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 good. He makes people very good. And then suddenly you've got, it's not good. The very first thing that's not good and God has said it's not good and yet God has just created it is the very first human being alone. And that ties into this whole other topics of humans created for relationality and in the image of God, we know that our God is a relational God. We've also got uh, in 1 Kings 19, Elijah, who's just come from what you'd expect to be this massive high, a kind of great showdown between the Lord and the prophets of Baal. 
at Mount Carmel, isn't it? Yes, it's one of my very favourite stories in the Bible. And um, Elijah has to flee and he is on his own for 40 days in the wilderness. And then he cries out and he repeats this complaint twice. He says, I alone am left or I myself remain alone. They are seeking my life to take it away. And God meets him very famously, not in the earthquake, not in the wind, not in the fire, but in a a still small voice and then sends him off to go and work with Elisha for a time. We've also got Jeremiah 15, which is a very interesting verse 17. Jeremiah is attributing the cause of his loneliness to God. He says, under the weight of your hand, I sat alone. And we know from elsewhere in Jeremiah that God has forbidden him from having a wife, from having a family. And Jeremiah clearly finds this a very difficult aspect of his calling. So there are other texts as well, which they're all fairly different in a way, but I think do begin to draw us to what can be a fairly coherent picture of how the Bible, or how the Old Testament at least, portrays loneliness in that it's a perennial part of the human condition and it's not good. And how does that depiction of loneliness as a common experience, a common reality in human experience, if you like, and one that is not good, that falls short of why we were made and how we were made. How does that Old Testament depiction of loneliness kind of fit with the current medical and psychological research about loneliness, about isolation, you know, that you refer to that's been really growing over the last couple of decades? So at this most basic level, I think it fits very, very well. These studies show very consistently that prolonged periods of loneliness are very bad for people. They're significantly correlated with detrimental physical health conditions, mental health conditions and increased mortality. Uh, Famously, there's a study which equates loneliness with being as bad for you as smoking 40 cigarettes a day. Does that help explain a little bit about the intensity of the emotion that, for example, Elijah and Jeremiah are feeling in this story? Because they're both very kind of powerful. I mean, I remember reading the Elijah story not long after I came to faith and I was utterly surprised that he would go from this mountaintop experience, literally, to this place of great despair. And it kind of really gets to his very core, doesn't it? And likewise, Jeremiah, it's a sort of deep lament. Is there something going on here that loneliness is actually not just a kind of not very nice experience, but actually does you harm? Does that help explain what's going on in these passages? I think so. I think the Bible is very clear throughout that we are created as and to be relational beings, uh, to be in community with each other. So when that doesn't happen, it's going against in some way what it is we were created for. So it's no surprise almost that when this isn't the case, certainly over a long period of time, that we, we suffer for it. And I think we can tend to think of our body and our minds as uh, more separate things, partly the influence of more Greek philosophy of a soul. Um, but in the, the Hebrew Bible, it's more embodied the way that our emotions often have physical side effects. Um, People express grief often, for example, by their physical posture, by sitting down, even that Lamentations opening, how lonely sits the city, she's down low. So what you're saying, Lizzie, is that as we see with Elijah, as we see with Jeremiah, what is going on with them being 
lonely, feeling alone is not just a kind of matter of their heart or their mind, but it's kind of going deep into their being and therefore has an impact, as you say, on their bodies, on their whole experience of life that is deeper than we might initially imagine the problem of loneliness to be. Yeah, I think I would agree with that alongside the fact that loneliness can impinge on so many other areas of our life, which we might not initially expect. You mentioned about the Jeremiah passage, Lizzie, that this was Jeremiah effectively blaming God or at least attributes God as the the reason for his loneliness. What, What does the Old Testament say about God's response to loneliness? You've narrated the fact that God does not see loneliness as good, certainly in the Genesis 2 account. But where else do we see God relating to loneliness? And and I guess, is there material that as you looked at it, you found surprising, challenging, encouraging? You know, what was what was the thing that you discovered as you looked at that? I think it's clear from the biblical texts that loneliness is something God takes very seriously and often takes steps to try and mitigate. So, for example, Genesis 2.18, he immediately creates another human being a helper like him, uh, as is often translated, a a partner, someone of equal rank who can come alongside, be like this first human. For Elijah, God sends him off to go and meet Elisha. uh, And we know they travel together. Two Kings 2, they're going together to Gilgal. We know that Jeremiah had Baruch. So I think it's it's clear that God takes loneliness seriously. It's something he doesn't like to see in his creation. We know that he doesn't want us to suffer, quite the opposite. And I think that is why on the few occasions in the biblical texts where God appears to ignore loneliness uh, or even cause it, so as is the case in the book of Lamentations, in Jeremiah, that's why it's really shocking. It's almost worse than being alone is the fact that God's not doing anything about it. And I think one of the things that surprised me when I was going through these texts is that actually the presence of God doesn't do as much to fix the problem of loneliness as we might think. There don't seem to be that many occasions where God says, all right, we've got this human who's lonely, but it's all right. I'm here. You don't need to be lonely anymore. God brings alongside other humans Probably the best example of this is for Elijah, where the presence of God is so near and tangible, but there's still a very human component of what Elijah should go and do next. And same in Genesis. God is right there walking in the garden, clearly talking with Adam, with the human. And yet that's somehow not enough. Not that God isn't enough, but there's something about this human to human relationality that I think is very important. The the section of the book of Isaiah that's often known as second Isaiah has what is frequently seen to be a response to the book of Lamentations, to daughter Zion's loneliness, for example. And um, she sees the return of all her people from exile. And so for this childless widow or widow whose children have died, she sees all these children returning. And she says, you know, I was bereaved and barren, captive and taken away. Who's brought all these children up? Behold, I was left alone. From where did these come? So there's there's a restoration and it's through the hand of God, but it's through the people coming back. 
And again, I'd want to be cautious and say, so it's restoration, but it's not an eradication. She still went through all that suffering. It doesn't, you know, make everything better with a wave of a magic wand, but it's a step towards reconnection. And that's done through humans rather than God alone. So it's by the hand of God, but working through other people. That's really interesting. So that what you're saying is it's not as if God responds to loneliness by saying, don't worry, I'm here. But rather, God takes it so seriously that he recognises there's almost a, is it all a physical dimension that you know, people need people physically to turn up in order for that loneliness to be addressed and that God uses other people to address that loneliness. But God doesn't expect that loneliness to go away simply because God is present in whatever way people might experience that. Is that right? I think so. And of course, we've all had so many interesting discussions over the last couple of years about um, meeting together in community and what church means when we can't meet together physically. And of course, God has been just as present. But somehow the act of not being able to be together alongside this rise in loneliness has been very significant. And I think another benefit of the human physical component is, you know, we all have periods where we feel the presence of God more or less strongly um, and periods when we can feel very far away from God. But with people, there can be that consistency, perhaps. Now, you mentioned earlier that God doesn't eradicate loneliness, that, for example, using the, the quotation from Isaiah, that there is a kind of sense of restoration. But the reality of loneliness is still there. It was there for Elijah in 1 Kings 19, because Elijah didn't turn up straight away, you know, and Jeremiah lived with that experience before Barak turned up. So what are the ways in which the Old Testament invites us to live with loneliness, recognising that God's purpose is often God's grace, God's kindness often involves bringing people alongside in due course. But what does it mean to live with that loneliness? I think as loneliness can be a very subjective experience, which is different for every individual, so too is the response. And the Bible speaks about the benefits of the presence of other people in lots of different ways, from as, as kind of basic in a way as uh, safety in numbers or security. So, for example, when Boaz tells Ruth to stay with his servant girls in the fields, clearly nothing to do with her feeling lonely, but for safety. Uriah famously, when everyone drew away from him and he was left on his own, he died. So you've got from that from one end of the spectrum, all the way up to a more relational aspect where humans come alongside one another to celebrate and to be joyful together. In Ecclesiastes 4, this list of benefits that come from being with other people. They're more productive. If someone falls into a hole, <laughs> you can pull them out again, culminating with the, the famous a threefold cord is not quickly broken. So you're actually saying, if I hear that right, Lizzie, that seeking out people and recognising God's provision in people turning up and people being physically present is a faithful response to loneliness. In other words, rather than saying, well, I'm afraid you should be reconciled that you're on your own, but God's with you, suck it up sort of thing. You're actually what you're saying is actually seeking the physical relationship of others and expecting God to kind of be at work in that is a faithful response. 
Yeah, I think Job's three friends are probably a good example of this. They don't often get the benefit of the doubt, which is possibly right. But I think they start off very well. They show up and they just sit down. Again, you've got that sitting, getting low, correlated with mourning, with grief, with loneliness. And they just sit with him in silence. And then they start talking and it all goes wrong. And there's probably a lesson in that for all of us somewhere. But they are witnessing to what he's going through. They're being present with him in the way that they can. And they're offering their friendship. And I think those are three very important ways that we can relate to one another, whether or not um, we're feeling lonely or we're with someone who's feeling lonely. But by witnessing to what their experiences are, by offering friendship and by being present with in whatever way we can, I think can go a significant way towards being what someone views as a qualitative connection in order to stave off loneliness. John Swinton has written really interesting things on radical friendship and how we act with one another, which I think is very interesting in this kind of area. I'd like to come back to that in a moment and think how we could be God's agents amidst a world of loneliness. But before I do that, can I take you to a particular text, Psalm 42? I wonder if we could just have a quick look at together, because it just strikes me, it seems to me an invitation to talk to God about our loneliness. There's that wonderful scene in it where the psalmist says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I went with the throng and led them into procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. And it's that wonderful sense of being not lonely, but as you say, in a crowd gathering with others in worship. But he says, then says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you so disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. And it's almost a dialogue going on as the psalmist talks to his own soul. And then the psalmist talks to God. And I suppose I'm interested in the question, does the Old Testament give us permission, therefore, to talk to God about how lonely we feel rather than feeling guilty about it? Absolutely. So many of the psalms are wonderful excuses for us to say whatever we want to for God because no matter what we say the psalmist has been worse first. I think what is great about Psalm 42 is it really exemplifies how we can be with people and yet feel alone and yet God is always there no matter whether we're alone no matter whether we're surrounded by a crowd or with a few people and we can always turn to God and talk to him, no matter how appropriate we necessarily think our language is. You mentioned earlier about Job's friends, and you said they did something good in turning up. Got a few things wrong later on, but they did something good in turning up and and sitting with Job and his loneliness. And you mentioned the, the quotation from John Swinton about radical friendship. Let's think, therefore, how does the Old Testament invite us to be good friends in a world where people are lonely? I think one very important aspect of this is almost in a sense to go beyond the few biblical examples we've looked at, where, as we've seen, God has provided someone who is in some way like the person suffering from loneliness. So very explicitly in Genesis, God provided a partner like him. Elisha is a prophet like Elijah daughter Zion's children returned home. There's there's quite direct correspondence for all of these. And yet we know throughout scripture that 
all of us are made in the image of God and we all share a common humanity. So all of us are able to, I think, be friends, if you like, or we have that potential for everyone to be friends with one another. We don't need to be confined or constricted and our relationships don't need to be confined or constricted by age, gender, vocation, social class, race finance, ability, health, any of these things. So I think in order to be good friends to one another, we can almost move beyond these boundaries that we've often created in our mind or that exist in the societies in which we inhabit and almost we don't realise they're there. And also to realise that, of course, these these friendships will, will look different. Uh, these relationships will look different, whether that is sitting with, for example, or whether that is physically showing up and of course in a time where that's not always possible. You mentioned earlier the pandemic and that time when we were not able to be physically with people. What other things we might learn from that about the way of being present with people, about the way of being with people in the midst of loneliness? Many of us are deeply enjoying it being able to be physically present with people again. But I'm always keen to say, what can we learn that might be reflective of what the Old Testament teaches in this respect? I think that it can be costly, especially when it is more difficult to be physically present. And when we all increasingly in the 21st century have so many pressures, some self-imposed, others not, but other responsibilities and choices that we make that take up our time, that take up our energy and that take up our emotional capacity. And so I think it's worth recognising that truly seeking to serve one another in order to help alleviate loneliness and to share community well together can at times be costly and can require sacrifice. But as we know, that does not mean we shouldn't do it. Lizzie, we often think of loneliness in culture today as being something that's experienced by older people. And and that's presented as a reality of people living isolated lives. And yet the Bible invites us to think of loneliness as a more generic part of the human condition than that. And probably we recognise that it's possible to be lonely even when surrounded by lots of friends on social media. I wonder, is that something you found yourself making connections in about how this research helped you think about loneliness and how God is concerned for loneliness in all its form. Yeah, definitely. As you say, we've got this stereotype that it's older people who are lonely, but the research that, for example, the Office for National Statistics do suggests that teenagers do identify far more as lonely. And I think that's where, again, returning to this definition of loneliness as the discrepancy between the number of connections you want and the number you have means that it's people who we really might not expect to be lonely at all. The same word for lonely and alone is also applied to Moses when he is surrounded by um, the Israelites. And it's in the context of he is judging all the Israelites And the story comes three times in slightly different ways. And on each time, Moses is told, you cannot do this alone. You cannot do this by yourself, by Jethro, by God. And Moses himself realises it. And each time, 
plans are put in place to delegate, essentially, and other people to take on the judgments. So while the same language is used, we wouldn't think of Moses as being lonely when he is surrounded by the whole nation at all. And I think there are, again, correspondences of it's worth looking that little bit closer just because someone is surrounded by people or does seem to be absolutely fine. And they might have, for example, lots and lots of connections and people they see every day. If those connections aren't life-giving for them in some ways, they can still be needing someone to tell them, like Jethro, like God himself, you can't do this on your own. You need to accept help from someone else. Lizzie, you've painted a brilliant portrait of both of the reality of loneliness in the faithful life and the way that God uses other people to reach us and to reach others in their loneliness. And the fact that we can speak to God of our loneliness as part of our lived reality. I wonder if I can go back to your example. You've been researching into this area for a number of years. How has exploring this area, particularly in its Old Testament expression, how has this impacted your own faith, your own worship, your own prayers, if I may ask? Well, I am very much an introvert, so it would take quite a long time with very few people for me to feel lonely, which is probably a helpful thing when you're sitting on your own researching loneliness in the middle of a pandemic. But one of the main things, I think, is it has made me a lot more aware of, firstly, the subjective nature of loneliness, of people's needs for relationality, for community, and how that can look so completely different for so many different people. And therefore, um, everyone's needs are going to need to be met in a slightly different way, uh, in a slightly different amount. So I've been very much challenged to, instead of sinking back into my introvertedness, to really try and be attentive to where God is showing me that I do need to be more present, that I do need to uh, engage better with people. And it's been such an encouragement to realise more fully how much God does care about this aspect of human existence. It's hardly new to say that God cares, <laughs> cares for us and cares about our well-being. But the fact that it does seem to be an increasing societal problem. And yet throughout the Bible, we can see God taking steps as significant as creation uh, in order to help us through this has been really wonderful to research into. Lizzie Hare, thank you very much indeed for appearing on Talking Theology. Thank you very much for having me. You have been listening to Talking Theology, a podcast from Cranmahal, Durham. Cranmahal is a theological college within St John's College in the University of Durham, training people for ministry in the Church of England and other denominations. Find out more about us at cranmahal.com. Thank you.